Good morning. Welcome to worship at Shepherd of the Lakes today. Today we see one of Christ's parables about the vineyard, and where he really picks up on a reading from Isaiah the prophet, from Isaiah chapter 5, and Jesus describes this in this parable, he describes really the Christian church, and how God has blessed the Christian church, and what God kind of expects from his Christian people. The service begins today with our opening hymn, number 224, then we'll continue in the front part of your red hymnal on page 45. God bless your worship. continue on page 45 in the front part of your red hymnal. Please rise. Thank you. 
So now, inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not already done for it? When I expected it to produce clusters of grapes, why did it produce sour grapes? Now let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it will become pasture. I will break down its wall, and it will be trampled down. I will make it into a wasteland. It will not be pruned or hoed, so briars and thorns will shoot up. I will also command the clouds not to pour rain on it. Yes, the vineyard of the Lord of armies is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are the planting that pleased him. He expected justice, but there was oppression. He expected righteousness, but there was an outcry. This is the word of our God. We continue with our psalm for today, Psalm 118, as found on page 108.
Our second reading from Philippians chapter 3. You can see the fruit, pressing on toward the goal and walking together in Christ. Paul writes, Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ also took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it yet, but there is one thing I do. Forgetting the things that are behind and straining toward the things that are ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature continue to think this way. And if you, and if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this to you too. Only let us think the same thing and walk in line with what we have already attained. Brothers, join me in imitating, join together in imitating me and in paying close attention to those who are walking according to the pattern we gave you. To be sure, many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. I told you about them often, and now I am saying it while weeping. Their end is destruction. Their God is their appetite, and their glory is in their shame. They are thinking only about earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. We are eagerly waiting for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. By the power that enables him to subject all things to himself, he will transform our humble bodies to be like his glorious body. Our theme verse is printed for you there. Alleluia. I will proclaim your name to my people in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. Alleluia. Please rise for the reading of the gospel. Today's gospel reading from Matthew 21, the workers bringing the harvest to the landowner. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. He leased it out to some tenant farmers and went away on a journey. When the time approached to harvest the fruit, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. The tenant farmers seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then the landowner sent even more servants than the first time. The tenant farmers treated them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenant farmers saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. And they took him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. So when the landowner comes, what will he do to those tenant farmers? They told him, He will bring those wretches to a wretched end. Then he will lease out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his fruit when it is due. Jesus said to them, Have you never read the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. That is why I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces its fruit. This is the word of our God. We join in our confession of faith the explanation to the third article of the Apostles' Creed. I believe that I cannot, by my own thinking or choosing, believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, and enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. In the same way he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Holy Christian Church on earth, and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. 
In this Christian church, he daily and fully forgives all sins to me and all believers. On the last day, he will raise me and all the dead, and give eternal life to me and all believers in Christ. This is most certainly true. You may be seated for our next hymn, number 235.
Dear fellow redeemed, we briefly consider our reading from Philippians chapter 3. In our Sunday morning Bible class today and from last week, we'll be talking a little bit about the natural knowledge of God. And what that is, of course, is what every person and any person can know about God from nature and from conscience. That any person on this earth can look around and recognize that this world is far too complex to just sprung up out of nowhere. And what every person can know from nature and from conscience is that, that there is a creator, that he has standards, that I fall short and the conscience speaks up. He will punish me. What is the conscience? Well, it's that feeling you get perhaps when you were a child and uh, your mom said no cookies before supper and then she finds you five minutes later with crumbs on your face. It's that feeling when you're, you're driving down the highway, maybe towards Blue Earth because um, you're on the highway going that way, and you see up ahead the white door of a state police officer. Glance at the speedometer and realize while well, you're going a few miles per hour above what they normally allow. You ease off the gas a little bit in hopes that he or she doesn't notice. The conscience. Sometimes speaking up to say what you're doing is incorrect, what you're doing is wrong, but sometimes, sometimes that natural knowledge of God, that element we call the conscience, speaks up with a pat on the back. That was a good action. You did what was correct. You've, you've helped this old lady across the street. You, you bought gas for somebody else. You've really been a good person, and you've been a good neighbor to those around you. The conscience is alternately accusing and condemning, or affirming and congratulating. But one element of the natural knowledge of God that we don't talk about very often, and probably that doesn't come up quite as often, is this idea that we get from the book of Ecclesiastes. That God has set eternity on the hearts of man, but they cannot comprehend what he has been doing from then until now. In other words, you as a human have some concept of history that there must be more to life than this either before and after you, but as to what that is or what that means, we're not quite so sure. And where that comes into play, especially as Jesus tells this blistering parable mere weeks before his death, where that comes into play is if you look around, and you consider where we live, and you consider our church body, and you consider that this is indeed the 500th anniversary year of the beginning of the Lutheran Reformation. If you consider our context, and where we live, and when we live, it looks, you know, we, we understand the, the town, and the city, and the, the state, and the country, but really, it's the third vineyard. What a terrifying thought. This understanding of history that we see in Isaiah, we see, first of all, the first vineyard that God had created. After the fall into sin, he created his nation Israel. He brought them into slavery in Egypt so that he could grow them as a nation. And then he brought them out and gave them the promised land. And during that Old Testament time, the nation of Israel was synonymous 
with the Old Testament church. If you wanted to become a member of the Old Testament church, you had to join the nation of Israel. And in Isaiah, 700 years before Christ, at the first vineyard, God says, I've done everything, and I haven't gotten any fruit. Maybe you know the story of what happened next. That the nation was wiped off the face of the earth with the tiniest little remnant preserved. And so God planted a vineyard again. The second vineyard, when his people came back from exile, 200 years after Isaiah had written the second vineyard, Jesus speaks that God had sent his prophets, that God had sent his son, and yet that son was thrown out of the vineyard and killed. And we see that. In the Gospels, it's recounted that Jesus was crucified outside the walls of the city of Jerusalem. Killed. What could they have been wanting to gain? Here's the heir. Let us kill him and steal his inheritance. How foolish. But when people deny the natural knowledge of God, and when they ignore what God's word has clearly said, that's what they're left with. Absolute foolishness. And so here we are. God has placed into your heart an understanding that there's more to life than this. That what was will be again. What happens today has happened previously. That there's more to life than the life that we're living right now, the 70 or 80 years if we have the strength. And Isaiah tells us, and Jesus tells us, that you and I are living in the third vineyard. And the Lord still wants fruit. Look what Jesus says in verse 43. That is why I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces its fruit. Okay. If that's not making you nervous yet, let's talk about that. Given to a people that produces its fruit. The the understanding of history tells us that when God doesn't see fruit, the vineyard is uprooted and moves on and perhaps is planted somewhere else. Perhaps not. And you and I, we know that God's law stands opposed to us and condemning our actions as ungodly, and yet it still stands up in front of us. Dear Christian, here is the bar. Here is the action. How? How shall we do it? How shall we produce fruit? Or else, you know, as Jesus says in Revelation... Where there's no fruit, the lampstand is taken away. The light of the gospel moves on, just like a rain shower, moving on to the next part of the world, where God's word is not honored. God takes it away. And so in this third vineyard, my question today, what is our fruit? I don't know. To an extent... You and I recognize that the fruit we we bear as Christians is done without knowing and is done without us even recognizing it. And as a pastor here, I, I hear a lot about the wonderful things that our congregation has done and continues to do for one another. But the seriousness of living in the third vineyard demands us to answer, what is the fruit? And how do we get more? We had just confessed, I believe that I cannot by my own thinking or choosing believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to Him. 
And so we think back, well, if I can't become a Christian on my own merit and by my own decision and action, how can I produce Christian fruit? And what's the role of, of my own effort in producing Christian fruit? And that's really the core of it. Because if we were and are to continue producing the fruit that God desires, what does that look like? And how does that happen? Are we compelled along and pushed along, flogged along by the, by the law, by fears and threats and punishments, do this or else? Or by the law flipped around, held out like a promise, if you do this, then you will feel better. And then you will feel good about yourself. And then you will feel like you finally measure up. But what is that really? Except the natural knowledge of God and the conscience coming around again. Telling us, this is what you should do, and this is what you should avoid. The law pushing along to say, do this and don't do that. The law holding out its conditional promises. If you do this, then this is what will happen. This will be the effect in your life. This is how you will feel. This is the blessing you will receive. If you do this, you will live. As a Christian, how do we do that? How does the third vineyard produce fruit? Well, last week, we talked about Jesus Christ. Obviously, we will today also. But last week, we said, well, because of who you are in Christ, you can look to him as your example, but only your example, secondly, after you see him as your substitute first. And so, living in the third vineyard, with this knowledge of eternity that God has planted in your heart, and with the knowledge of the first and the second that God has revealed in his word, we look at that second vineyard. They took the son. They threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. The most beautiful way that God had thought to fertilize his vineyard and to make it grow is with the blood of his son and with the waters of baptism. The most beautiful thing that God has done for his vineyard is to take you and me, wild olive plants, as Paul puts it in the book of Romans, and graft them into his tree and his vineyard so that you and I would produce fruit. And so we recognize that that the conscience always accuses and sometimes defends, that God's law stands opposed and sometimes encourages, but only with a condition, if you do this, then that will happen. And so God says, it's been done. Absolutely. And completely. That I recognize I cannot, by my own or choosing, believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him, and that means that on my own, I recognize also that the best that I could do as far as producing fruit is absolutely worthless compost. But in Christ, you have been given fullness. In Christ, you have been given life. You've been watered in the waters of holy baptism. You've been fed with the Word of God. The Lord has fertilized His vineyard with His own blood. And now he says, dear Christian, this is who you are. 
Somebody who has been planted in God's vineyard to the glory of his name. Somebody who will bring forth fruit to the glory of his name. And so Paul says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus also took hold of me. What's the relationship between Christian fruit and Christian effort? I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus also took hold of me. When we talk about sanctified Christian living, and when we talk about producing fruit in this vineyard that God has given to us and planted us in, how does that happen? Think of it like this. That that professional athletes and other high-level athletes will often hire a personal trainer. And one of the things that those personal trainers might do, they try to come up with all the creative ways of, of making the body do different things. And this trainer has kind of like a toe, which ties the athlete to the trainer. And the athlete is supposed to run, and the trainer puts on the brakes, so this athlete has to work harder and, and learns to move with faster feet and that sort of a thing. Well, the analogy isn't that great but the picture fits. That when when you were baptized, Jesus pulled you up out of the waters of baptism and resurrected you from spiritual death. And he tied you to himself. And so he said, now run with me. And not not just running along to say, well, here you go, go on your way. He said, I'll take you along with me. He's the the man in front, pulling us along. And he's giving you the life to run along with him. And at first, certainly, it's kind of the stumbling and bumbling steps of a little toddler, perhaps. And then as we grow in our faith and in our knowledge and understanding, perhaps it grows into the, the youthful vigor of a high school athlete. And as God continues to train us, And as we encounter the hills and the bumps of everyday life, and as Jesus leads us through this crowd standing opposed to us, these many living as enemies of the cross of Christ, Jesus pulls us along. And sure, at at every point, none of us is as fast as Jesus. But the effort comes from Him. And it's channeled to us. And He carries us along to say, Dear Christian, This is how you run. You're Christian. This is how you produce fruit. The way our Lutheran confessions describe it isn't as one runner pulling another. It's as two oxen that are kind of yoked together. That when God brought you to faith, he puts you in a yoke alongside himself. And the one oxen pulls very, very strongly. And the other one kind of stumbles and bumbles along and pulls as well as it can. And so you and I, tending people, tending farmers in this third vineyard, striving to produce fruit, continually hampered, no doubt, by our sinful flesh, but at the same time, at the same time, being pulled along by our Lord, being pulled along to produce the fruit that the Lord has planned in advance for us to do. And you realize that that is a totally different and totally backwards from the way that a a person without the gospel 
would live and work. The person without the word of God would be compelled and pushed along by their conscience and by God's law written there. They would be, they would be compelled along like the, the donkey going after the stick or going after the carrot held out on the stick. But that, only God's law. Whether the law of push or whether the law of pull, both are the same, trying to effect an external action by force. And turning around, our Lord has given you life. He's joined you to himself. And he said, dear Christian, here's the path for us to produce fruit. Yes, the soil can be rocky, and the fruit might not always be the, the beautiful crop that God desires, but don't worry, because you've been washed, you've been cleaned, you have been taken a hold of by Christ. You've been placed in the yoke next to him, you've been tied to him through holy baptism, and now Paul says, run like your life depends on it. Because, well, in one sense it doesn't. And because it doesn't, in every sense, it really does. That your running and your Christian work is not what brings you into a better relationship with God, but it is an outcome of being tied to your Savior. So he says, I press on to reach the goal for which Christ Jesus has taken a hold of me. And pressing on like this runner that, that totally forgets the stumbling back there and totally forgets the the failings of the past and strains on to say, Lord, you've given me this, this, much, this much more race to go. Whether it's 90 yards, 300 yards, or you're in the final home stretch. Lord, let me run for you. So what does that Christian effort look like? Well, it looks like the, the fastest sprinter in the world pulling us along just as quickly in a beautiful way where Jesus does the work through you to produce fruit, to run your race, to, to plow the field that many more may be brought into the kingdom of God. So what then is the relationship between Christian effort and Christian fruit? It's not being pushed along by God's law. It's a change within you where God has been restoring and continues to restore the image of God, which was lost at creation, it's now been restored in you. And so when Jesus looks at you today and forever, one thing to strain for and keep working toward, that final finish line where Jesus will welcome you with open arms, saying, well done, good and faithful servant. What, what beautiful fruit what a wonderful race, what excellent running, because I made you to be that way. And so, we press on, as Paul says. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, that is to say, none of us is in heaven yet, but we press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of us. Forgetting the things that are behind and straining toward the things that are, that are ahead, we press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Please rise.
And now may the peace of God that goes beyond all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. We continue with the Te Deum as found on page 48 in the front part of your red hymn.
continue in the front part of your abdominal on page 50 with the Kyrie. Please rise. In the morning, O Lord, I call to you. Be merciful to me and hear my prayer.
morning once again. Uh, a special welcome to the guest worshiping with us today. The only item of note um, are the ones listed there. Our Men's Bible Breakfast for November will be this coming Saturday, the last Saturday in October, because the first Saturday in November is the beginning of deer season. Um, and our Friendship Sunday and Thanksgiving meal will be next week. Um, we've got a little sheet of paper, kind of like this. Uh, you could stick a stamp on that drop in the mail if you'd like to invite somebody, or you could hand it to them and say, well, this is where I go to church, and we've got Thanksgiving meal all set up for you. Um, after Bible class today, we will have our evangelism meeting as well. God bless your week. So.